Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Megan Argan? First, I'll look at the background of this case, move to the timeline of the crime, and offer my analysis. This case takes place in the city of McLean, Virginia, which is in Fairfax County. McLean is just west of Washington, D.C., and is the third wealthiest city in the United States. In June 2017, a 63-year-old woman named Pamela Hargan lived in a $1.3 million house at 6708 Dean Drive. She was the vice president of human resources for a government contractor. Her net worth was somewhere around $8 million. Pamela had been married and divorced many years earlier. She had three daughters, 34-year-old Megan, 32-year-old Ashley, and 23-year-old Helen. Megan, Megan's eight-year-old daughter, and Helen lived with Pamela in Pamela's house. Ashley lived in a separate residence nearby. Helen graduated from college in 2015. Pamela had given Helen money to buy a house. It was being built in Loudoun County, Virginia. Helen was living with her mother until the house was completed, at which time Helen and her boyfriend, Carlos Gutierrez, planned on moving into the house together. Megan and her daughter were living in the house temporarily because her husband was in the military. Megan was not doing well financially. She was unemployed and only had $30 to her name. Without her mother's knowledge, Megan used Pamela's financial account statements to qualify for a loan to purchase a house in West Virginia. Megan also had access to her mother's account passwords. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On June 13, 2017, Megan called Pamela's bank and impersonated Pamela. She tried to get the bank to transfer almost $420,000 to her title company. As a security measure, the bank called the number they had on file for Pamela. When Pamela answered, they asked her if she had approved the transfer. Pamela denied any involvement and blocked the transfer. On June 14, 2017, 
Pamela, Helen, Megan, and Megan's daughter were all in Pamela's residence in McLean, Virginia. Helen's boyfriend, Carlos Gutierrez, was in Dallas, Texas. According to Carlos, sometime around 11.30 a.m., Helen called him and told him that her sister Megan had killed their mother, Pamela. Carlos said that Helen was crying and frightened. Helen told Carlos that Megan was downstairs transferring money on the computer. In another call to Carlos, Helen said that she could hear her mother dying. So it sounds like Megan shot Pamela and Pamela survived for a short time before dying. Carlos advised Helen to exit the residence, but Helen told him that she was concerned for the safety of Megan's daughter. At 1.15 p.m., Carlos started receiving text messages from Helen's phone. One of the messages read, Everything is fine. I'm not mad at Megan. It's fairly obvious that Megan is the one who wrote this. I'm surprised that she did not also write, And by the way, Megan definitely did not murder anybody today. Absolutely zero Megan-involved homicides happening here. Carlos contacted the police at 1.44 p.m. They gave him a hard time because he was calling from Texas and trying to report a crime in Virginia. He called back and said he thought someone might be dead. Even still, the police didn't seem too enthusiastic about investigating. I guess it all sounded like a lot of work with the murder part and everything. The police did not arrive at Pamela's house until about 3 p.m. They broke the front door in and found the bodies of Pamela and Helen. Pamela was found lying in a laundry room between the kitchen and the garage. She had been shot two times with a 22 caliber firearm. Pamela's body was covered with a comforter and her phone was on top of the comforter. Upstairs, the police found Helen in the bathroom adjacent to her bedroom. She was dead from a single gunshot wound to the head. Her body was on the toilet and she had a Ruger 96-22 rifle positioned between her legs with the barrel pointed toward her head. This is a 22 caliber rifle which is similar to the extremely popular Ruger 10-22. It even uses the same magazines, but it is not semi-automatic like the 10-22. Rather, it is a lever action, so the action must be cycled by swinging a lever forward and back. Here's what the police found as the investigation continued. Helen's phone contained no fingerprints. It looked like the screen had been smeared by someone's hand. Helen's DNA was on the gun case for the Ruger rifle. No DNA or fingerprints were found on the rifle itself. Helen had been shot in the top of the head, which would be highly unusual if the wound was self-inflicted. The way the rifle was positioned, there should have been a lot of blood on the rifle from her head, but there wasn't. The rifle was owned by Megan's husband, who was in the military and not in the area. Megan had access to that weapon. Her DNA was on the handles of the gun case. Megan had gunshot residue on her hands. When the police initially searched the house, they found a book on a basement shelf full of Pamela's financial account passwords. They did not have a search warrant for that item, so they took a photograph of it and left it behind, with the intent of securing a search warrant and looking at it more closely later. A few days when they returned with the warrant, the book was gone. The police interviewed Megan. She indicated that she had recently moved the rifle to the main floor because she was worried about recent activity in the neighborhood. 
She claimed that she had witnessed two suspicious men in the area. Megan said that other people reported the men as well, but this was not true. No one else had reported it. Megan told the police that something really changed with her sister, Helen, during the last couple of months. Helen was depressed. Megan said that Pamela was upset with Helen because Helen intended to move Carlos into the new house that Pamela had purchased for Helen. Pamela threatened to back out of the deal to buy the house. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Police initially believed that Helen killed her mother before bringing an end to her own life. After they found out that Helen had been shot in the top of the head, they came to believe that Megan killed both Pamela and Helen. Megan was interviewed by the police again on July 19. She kept talking for four hours. She repeatedly told the officers, please blame me, but she did not really confess. She did, however, admit that she impersonated Pamela on that call to the bank. The police let Megan go as they built a case against her. She moved to West Virginia. About 16 months later, on November 9, 2018, Megan Hargan was arrested for murder. When the police searched Megan's residence, they found the missing book containing Pamela's passwords. Here was the prosecution's theory of the crime. Megan tried to use Pamela's financial information to buy a house. She impersonated her mother in order to complete the transaction. Pamela found out, which led to a confrontation on June 14, 2017. Megan killed Pamela at around 11.30 a.m. She logged onto a computer to transfer money from Pamela's account. There was a record of this. Megan killed her sister Helen at about 1.15 p.m. before leaving the house. Megan's trial was held in 2022. She was convicted on March 26 of two counts of first-degree murder. The jury recommended life in prison for each account. Her sentencing is scheduled for the end of October 2022. It is very likely she will never get out of prison. Now moving to my analysis. Was Megan Hargan actually guilty of murder? Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that she was guilty, starting with the inculpatory factors. Megan admitted that she impersonated her mother to take her mother's money. She transferred Pamela's money from a computer in the house right around the time of the murder. Megan took a book of Pamela's passwords after the murder. Megan had access to the murder weapon. Megan had gunshot residue on both her hands. 
The circumstances surrounding Helen's death are inconsistent with Helen being the shooter. For example, the bullet entered the top of her head. Helen's boyfriend said that Helen told him that Megan killed Pamela. Helen did not have a motive to kill Pamela. There's no evidence that Pamela was going to cancel the purchase of Helen's house. Megan was familiar with the rifle because it was owned by her husband. It seems unlikely that Helen was familiar with the rifle or firearms in general. The rifle was lever action. For someone who has never fired a lever action rifle before, its operation is not intuitive. I doubt that Helen could have figured out how to load the weapon and cycle the action without instructions. If Helen was the shooter, why would she have smeared the screen of her own cell phone to remove fingerprints? Moving to the exculpatory factors, there were no witnesses to the murder, no video. The information Carlos provided came from Helen, who may have been lying to him. It's technically possible that Helen could have used the rifle on herself. She would have had to use her toe to pull the trigger. Helen was wearing socks, but the defense argued that she did this to avoid leaving any marks on the trigger. I don't know why this would have been a major concern to Helen at the time. Everybody would have known that she did it. Perhaps she was wearing socks simply because her feet were cold. Helen was in the house with Megan for about an hour and 45 minutes after Pamela was shot. Helen did not call the police at any point, but clearly she had access to a phone because she called Carlos more than once. When considering all the evidence, do I think that Megan Hargan was guilty? Yes, I think she was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. There is almost no doubt in this case. Moving to the next item, what do I think happened in this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. Pamela was a wealthy and successful individual. She wanted to be generous to her daughters, but she was disappointed in Megan for some reason. Pamela strongly favored Helen. Perhaps Helen reminded Pamela of herself. For example, Helen had earned a college degree. Maybe Pamela felt as though Helen was more ambitious. It's not clear why Pamela favored her, but it seems like she did. Pamela decided to buy a house for Helen. Again, this was being built at the time of the crime. This was an expensive purchase, one that would have given Helen a significant financial advantage over her sister Megan. As all this was happening, Megan was getting increasingly frustrated. She was extremely envious of Helen and angry at her mother for buying a house for Helen, but not buying one for her. Megan had a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a lot of anger. She could not deal with the disparity and decided simply to take what she wanted, or in her way of thinking, to take what she deserved. Megan could not get her mother's love or approval, but she could get her money. She somehow believed that doing this would take away her pain and make things right. It would make Megan equal to Helen. She used Pamela's financial documents to get approved to buy a house and impersonated her in an effort to make the actual purchase. Pamela was notified and blocked the transfer of funds. At this point, a few different things could have happened. Perhaps Pamela confronted Megan, or Megan confronted Pamela, and the murder was impulsive. Or maybe Megan planned to kill her mother the entire time. I think that Pamela's murder probably happened in the heat of the moment after Pamela confronted Megan. Pamela was probably shocked by how brazen Megan was by attempting to steal 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. Either way, Megan shot her mother Pamela twice and transferred the money for the purchase of the house. At this point, there is the strange interaction between Megan and Helen, which is really a mystery in this case. From the testimony Carlos provided, it appears as though Megan went upstairs to Helen's room and told Helen that she had killed their mother. Megan said that Pamela had become aware of Megan's involvement with some type of escort service, and Pamela was going to take away Megan's eight-year-old daughter. So initially, Megan was trying to explain herself to Helen. Megan had just killed their mother and walked upstairs and thought that she could maybe reason with Helen, like talk things out. Perhaps Megan thought that they could become conspirators after the fact. Like Helen wouldn't say anything about the murder, she would go along with it. Maybe Megan believed that Helen would be happy about the murder. It's not clear what Megan was thinking. Whatever happened between them, Helen was clearly torn and not thinking clearly either. At one point, she told Carlos, you just need to be quiet. Let me handle this. Don't call the police. Helen kept saying, I can't believe this. After about an hour and 45 minutes after killing her mother, Megan shot Helen in the top of the head and tried to stage the scene to make it look like Helen was the shooter. In my opinion, Megan decided to kill Helen after killing her mother. Megan was becoming increasingly desperate. She realized that Helen was going to say something. She may have realized that Helen told Carlos. That's why Megan texted Carlos and tried to make it seem like everything was fine. Megan decided to kill Helen to eliminate a witness and to frame her as the perpetrator. Under my theory of the crime, Megan committed a second-degree murder when she killed her mother and a first-degree murder when she killed Helen. Now moving to my final thoughts. This case highlights the dangers of having a sense of entitlement. Megan simply could not stand to see Helen receive a symbol of Pamela's love and to be denied that symbol herself. Her narcissism was so extreme that she killed not only her mother, who was exhibiting the favoritism, but her sister, who was the recipient and beneficiary of the favoritism. Megan killed two innocent people and destroyed her own future in order to get revenge. She could not stand being rejected, therefore she delivered the ultimate rejection in return. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts. People who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. 
Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.